Once a famous Russian writer was invited to Harvard University to be the speaker for the graduation weekend. And his assignment was to present and evaluate the history of the 20th century with all of its revolutions, world wars, with the attempt to try the atomic bomb. And he himself has suffered a lot in Siberia and the Hulag. And so what he did when he spoke, he presented the history in three Russian words of the whole 20th century. And he said, people forgot God. Today, when we analyze the 21st century, many theologians say that the 21st century could be summarized also in three words. But this time, not people forgot God, but Christians forgot God. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, this morning as we open your word, we invite you to speak to us. Please make your word alive again. And we will give you all the glory and honor. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let us open the book of Ecclesiastes. It's a very interesting book. A book that speaks about the meaning of life. But it starts very interestingly. It says that everything in life is what? Is vanity. You know, if Solomon would say, every bad thing that you do is vanity, we would agree, right? But you know what he's saying? Everything, be it good or bad, everything what you do is vanity. Look what he says. Chapter 1, verse 14. I have seen all the works which have been done under the sun. And behold, all is vanity and striving after the wind. So everything what we are doing is vanity. And then he really explains it more clearly. He says, it is an attempt to catch the wind. All what we do is vanity. You know, in order to understand Solomon better, let us use an illustration. Imagine you are planning to travel to Miami, but this time by train. I don't know if there is a train to Miami or not, but let's say you are trying to reach Miami by train. You come to the train station, but by mistake, you enter in a wrong train. And now, instead of going south to Miami, you are heading north 
to Toronto, to Canada. Now, in the train, you behave very well. You see someone hungry, you provide food. You see someone thirsty, you provide water. You see someone freezing, you take your coat and you share it. You behave like an angel of light. But the big question is, what does it help you? You still will never reach Miami. You know, you can even, in the train, take out your checkbook and write a check for the Spencerville Adventist Academy to take care of all the mortgage. And still it doesn't help you. You are, still, you are still going in the wrong direction. You will never reach Miami. And so Solomon tells us, everything what we do, be it good or bad, everything is vanity. It is an attempt to chase the wind. Now what is very interesting, when we, when we look into the book of Ecclesiastes, it's a short book, only 12 chapters, but yet in these short 12 chapters, we find one expression reoccurring so many times. And this is the expression, under the sun, or under the heavens. These two expressions are used 32 times. So you can imagine, 12 chapters, short book, and 32 times the expression is used under the heavens, under the sun. Approximately, by the way, the same time, the same uh, time is um, the, the expression vanity or chasing after the wind is used. So what Solomon really wants to tell us, he wants to present a picture saying there are two worlds. One world is called under the sun, under the heavens. But there is another world above the sun. And look what Solomon says in chapter 5, verse 2, the second part of verse 2. He says, for God is in heaven. And then he continues and says, for God is in heaven, but, but you are on the earth. So there are two worlds. There is a world above, a spiritual world. And there is a world under the sun where we live daily. And whatever we do here under the sun makes no sense. Even good things make no sense. It's vanity. Now what is interesting when you go to chapter 3 verse 11, Solomon says that God has also put eternity in our hearts. So we live here under the sun, but in our hearts the eternity is placed. So in a way we are looking up but yet there are two worlds. And how to live? Now, it's very interesting that the book of Ecclesiastes, as you well know, was written in Hebrew. 
And it is uh, very difficult to translate Hebrew text to modern languages. But here we have not only Hebrew language, we have here a wisdom literature, a poetry. How to translate it? It's very difficult to translate even modern poetry. And you have here old poetry, how to translate it and how to make sense. And this is a philosophical poetry, how to make sense of it. Now, what is very interesting is that Solomon provides us with a key to unlock not only the meaning of the book of Ecclesiastes, but to unlock the meaning of life itself. And he has placed it at the end of the book. The last two verses of the book of Ecclesiastes are really provide us the key that unlocks the book and unlocks the meaning of life itself. So let us read chapter 12, verse 13 and 14. The conclusion when all has been heard. Some other translations say the essence of all after everything has been said is, and now comes the key, and the key has three parts. Part number one, fear God. Part number two, keep his commandments because this applies to every person. And part number three, for God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. So let us unlock this key, this three-part key. Number one, fear God. Now what does it mean to fear God? Let us go to the book of Exodus chapter 20 and verse 20. It's an interesting verse because the same word for fear that we have here in the book of Ecclesiastes appears there twice in one verse. Exodus chapter 20, verse 20. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. The same word. For God has come in order to test you and that his fear, the same word, that his fear may be before your face or before your eyes. So don't be afraid of anyone. Don't be afraid of people. But he says, have the fear before your face or in front of your eyes. How some translators translate it. Now what is very interesting the word for fear in Hebrew. By the way, there are a dozen of words for fear in Hebrew. But Ecclesiastes uses one word, and the word has a very broad semantics, rich meaning. It can really mean to be terrified. It can mean emotional fear. It can mean to be in a state of frightness. But yet the same word can also mean to recognize, to see, to realize. Now it's very interesting how now Solomon is using the word fear. Because in the Bible the word fear can mean many things. It can even mean obeying and following God. 
But how does Solomon use this word and what he wants to tell us? Now, what is very interesting, I would like to suggest that Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes uses the word fear in a sense of seeing. Now, you can ask me a question. If Solomon really wanted to use the word to see, why he has not used the normal Hebrew word for seeing, but yet he is using a word to fear? Now, it is true that the two Hebrew words, to fear and to see, have different roots, but they sound similarly. They have almost the same consonants, but in a different order, and they sound similarly. But what is very interesting, when you speak about seeing, and when you use a normal word for seeing, you speak about things that are visible. But when you speak about the capability of seeing invisible things, the word to see is too short. You need to use another word. And this is why Solomon uses to fear, meaning be able to see what others don't see. Be able to see the reality of God's presence in the world under the sun. You see, there are, two, there are two worlds, like Solomon has presented. A world under the sun and the world above the sun. And life will never make sense, whatever you do, good or bad, if these two worlds are separated, if they are not connected. And so Solomon says, if you want your life to make sense, then you must see what others don't see. You must see the reality of the spiritual world present down here under the sun. This is number one. Number two, keep his commandments. In reality, what Solomon is saying, since we have these two worlds, he is saying, if you really are looking for the world to come, if it is really your dream, you look forward for the kingdom to come. Then he says, please, organize your life here under the sun based on the heavenly constitution. If this is your goal, if this is where you're looking to, start living already here based on the heavenly constitution. You know, uh, sometimes we ask a question, why it happens that the Lord allowed the people of Judah to be taken to Babylon? The matter of fact is that the people of Judah were living in Jerusalem based on the Babylonian laws, based on the Babylonian culture. And the prophets have, you know, constantly reminded them, this is not the constitution you should base your life on. But no, the people liked the lifestyle of Babylon. And so the Lord came one day and said, okay, I will help you. I will bring you to the place where you can experience the life, Babylonian life, to the fullest. And so today, he is telling us through Solomon, if heaven is a place you are looking for, then organize your life already here based on the heavenly constitution. Number three, 
For God will bring every act to judgment. Everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. You know, when you read these last two verses, it starts with fear and it ends with judgment. That God will judge everything which is hidden. You can, be, you can get frightened. But in reality, Solomon puts a totally different meaning to it. When he speaks about fear, he says, realize God's presence here under the sun. Realize that God is real and is here under the sun. And then he says, live based on his will, based on his constitution. And number three, he says, remember, there will be judgment. And you know, Solomon is using the judgment motif in a very interesting way, unusual way. Because in the Old Testament, Old Testament way of thinking, to judge can only the one who knows everything and who sees everything. And so for Solomon, the strongest argument that God is really here under the sun is that there will be a judgment. And because there will be judgment, says this is the best proof that God is for real here. Because he sees everything, he knows everything, even things that are hidden, be it good or bad. So actually his keys, his three elements of the key are starting, inviting us to realize that God is real. Then he ends and says, God is for real here. And in the middle, he says, organize your life based on the heavenly constitution. So actually what Solomon is telling us, if you don't cross the line between the two worlds, everything will be meaningless. If you want your life to have sense and meaning, you need somehow to connect these two worlds. And God must be a reality here down below. The best example of how it functions, I find in the book of Genesis. If you go to the book of Genesis, and let us look the few minutes we have on the life of Jacob. It's a very interesting Old Testament figure. Jacob was much like we are today, and his mother, Rebecca, as well. You know, when Pastor Chad preaches on Sabbath, we get inspired, you know. But when Monday starts, you know, the freshness of uh, the Sabbath experience is going away, and the reality chases in, and we don't know now. And sometimes we act as if God is on vacation, as if the other world is closed, and we have to somehow operate here. And now look what Jacob and his mother are doing. When you go to chapter 25 in Genesis, there the mother of Jacob is pregnant. And she is ready to give birth. And the Lord himself appears to Rebekah and the Lord tells her that it will be this, the younger son that will be the one who will rule over the older one. 
the Lord gave her the promise that it will be Jacob, not Esau, who will get the first birthright. Now, what is very interesting, she had this promise directly from God, but time goes away, and one day she hears her husband is speaking to, us, uh, to, to the son, Esau, and he is saying, you know what, go prepare me food, and when you are done, come in, I will eat, and I will bless you, and I will give you the first birthright, everything will go to you. Now Rebecca thinks, listen, we need to do something. She calls Jacob, says, you know what? The Lord, I know, has promised me, but you know, if we don't do now something, in a few minutes it will be too late. Now it is in those times that the big question of purpose of life is really a big question. It is in those times where we have to really decide, is God for real here or not? And so they feel, well, we know God exists. We know that he is over there, but we are here. In half an hour it will be too late. We don't have a wireless connection. If we don't do anything right now, it will be too late. Who knows where he is? And so you know what they did. You know the story. And so Jacob had to run away. You know what happened. Now while Jacob is now running away, the Lord appears to him. Now it's a wonderful message about God's character. God appears to Jacob and he doesn't rebuke him. Can you imagine? He is not in the business of rebuking people. He is in the business of educating people. And so the Lord is giving a lesson to Jacob. And so Jacob takes a stone, falls asleep, and the Lord appears in a dream. And look what happens. Chapter 28, Genesis, verse 12. And he had a dream. The Lord sent him a dream. And behold, a ladder was set on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. You know, our Lord is really using the best examples to give a lesson. And so our Lord was thinking, listen, I need to teach Jacob a lesson that would stick in his mind that I'm for real here under the sun with him. That the two worlds are connected. You couldn't find a better example that would connect the two worlds than to have a ladder. And now the ladder is standing on the earth and is touching heaven. But what is very amazing, the angels, where do they start their movement from? Do they come down first or do they go up first? Look in your Bibles. A ladder was set on the earth with its top reaching to heaven 
And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending. So the Lord is sending Jacob a message. Jacob, you know what? My angels are living right here. They are with you. The world under the sun is the center of my attention. My angels are there. And they start their movement from you to me and back to you and then to me. And look the reaction of Jacob. Then you go to verse 16. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Oh, surely the Lord is in, is in this place, but I did not know it. What a wonderful lesson. The Lord taught Jacob. said, Jacob, I am right here under the sun with you. You don't see me, but you need to fear the Lord. You need to be able to recognize what others cannot recognize. You need to be able to see what others don't see. And this is that I am for real. And I am here right with you down under the sun. Now for a while, everything went well. Jacob had this fresh experience. He relied on God. And so, then when you go later read, time passes, he has his difficulties. The freshness of the experience is waded away. And he thinks, well, I need to live somehow. I need to somehow, uh, you know, protect my, my uh, retirement. And so he starts to use all kind of rods, you know, uh, almond trees he takes and makes them, you know, white and black. You know the story. He uses all kind of tricks to be successful again. And the Lord thinks, well, I need to teach my patriarch. I need to give him another lesson. And so when you go to chapter 31, verse 25, Jacob is running away from his father-in-law. And verse 25 says that Jacob had pitched his tent in the hill country. And then there was a meeting with his father-in-law. We don't have time to go in all the details, although it's very interesting what the idols meant that Laban was, uh, Laban was searching for and so on. But then... In the morning, when the father-in-law went away, Jacob wakes up and he goes on his way. And look how chapter 32 starts. Now as Jacob went on his way, the angels of God met him. And Jacob said when he saw them, oh, this is God's camp. Remember the chapter before said that he built his own camp. It was Jacob's camp there. Now he goes out and he meets the angels of the Lord and says, Oh, this is God's camp. And look what the Bible says. So he named the place Mahanaim. Now if you translate from Hebrew the word Mahanaim, it means two camps. Meaning there is my camp and there is God's camp. He realizes God is my neighbor here under the sun. He is for real. For a while it is enough for him. But now he faces the meeting with his brother. 
He cannot go back because he has spoiled his relationship to his father-in-law. Now he cannot go forwards because his brother, he is afraid of him. And he again loses the reality of the presence of God. And he thinks, well, how should I face them? And he starts developing plans. So I will put, you know, some gifts there. And then my kids that I don't love so much will be the first. And then the ones I love the best will be in the back. He develops a strategic plan. But in the evening, he walks through the Yabok River. And the Lord thinks, well, now it's time to give him a final lesson. The time for real. And he comes and starts physically struggling with him. You know, our Lord has humor. He was giving him all kinds of lessons. The guy remembered for a while, but then forgot everything. And so he said, well, I need to really come very close to him. It's not enough to show him a ladder. It's not enough to show him that I am his neighbor. Now let's go into his house and start be physical with him. And you know, and then the Lord gets an idea. He said, you know what? I better kick him so that from now on he will never forget the time for real. And look what happens. Verse 31. Now the sun rose upon him just as he crossed over Penuel and he was limping. On his thighs. Oh yes, God is for real. Yes, God is there. And now till the rest of his life, he remembered God is real. And it is now when his life was meaningful again. Because God was there under the sun. So Solomon is teaching us a lesson. If the two worlds are not connected, everything we do is meaningless. But if God is real, if God is there, if whatever you do, whatever decision you make, you hold always God in front of your eyes. You involve him in everything you do. And his will, then life will start making sense again. I remember very well when I was uh, called to the military service in the Soviet Union. It is a quite interesting story for a German to be in a Soviet army. But now it's not the time, time to tell how it came. But when I came to the compulsory military service, I was brought far to the north, beyond the Nordic Circle, where there is six months night and six months day. And I remember very well the first thing I did. I found a piece of paper, because we were not allowed to have anything with us. And I drew a calendar. And I have presented, drawn a calendar for two years, 730 days. And I had this dream that one day I will cut 
out from the calendar all the 730 days. Because every evening I would cross one day out, because this day was gone. And I must tell you, first it was very frustrating. I opened this big piece of paper, and everything is still in front of me. But you know, the time went by, and then finally I crossed out one year, and then uh, 18 months, and finally, 24 months, 730 days, I crossed everything out. After a week or so, after I crossed everything out, the chief military officer came to our unit, and we were 13 soldiers that came at the same time, at the same day. And so he came with the relief papers, and he started to distribute the relief papers, and he gave to all my 12 friends, but he did not give it to me. So I asked him, I said, sir, I have also already completed my service, but you haven't given me my release papers. And he said to me, well, let me ask you two questions. Number one, how many Sabbath days do we have in one year? So I said, 52, yes, good. How about two years? 104. And so he said, since you have not worked on Sabbath, now you have to serve 104 days more, excluding the new Sabbath days. Well, for a young person that was dreaming only one dream, and it was not the ladder from earth to heaven, it was the ladder from my place to home, for two years, and now to hear 104 days more, I thought it was easier to die than to continue. And so my friends, you know, they started to pack. They were running to the library, to the cafeteria, to sign that they are not owning anything, preparing, you know. And then after a couple of days, the chief military unit uh, officer came in our unit and he saw our friends packing and he saw me quite sad. He approached me and he said, would you like to go home? And I was not smart enough at that time I didn't ask him anything. I said, yes, sir. And said, okay, I will give you an assignment, he said. As soon as you fulfill it, you can go home. Accept it. I said, yes, sir. Now I would first ask what the assignment was. And he said, don't worry, it's an easy thing. He said, we have a young soldier who was trying to run away. He couldn't bear it any longer. He just ran away. But they catched him because it was very cold. It was winter. His legs got frozen. He couldn't walk anymore. They catched him. They saved him. They brought him back. Now they needed to bring him to the military court and put him in prison for the attempt to run away. But they decided to be merciful on him and decided, okay, we will not punish him this way. We will just send him farther into the north to one of the islands or peninsulas there, from where he will never even think to run away. And now he said, your assignment is very simple. You go, take the sick soldier, bring him to the airport, put him in the small plane that flies to the place, and as soon as the plane is gone, you come back and you will receive your release papers. Well, I thought it's very easy. So I took the sick soldiers and we went. The soldier was very happy. Because he knew he escaped prison in this way. 
And he couldn't be in the same team because this was the reason he was running away. So he was very joyful. And so I took him, we went to the airport. It took us a couple of hours to get there. And as soon as we arrived, I went to the information desk and I asked, when is the plane to this place? And the lady looks at me and said, what? And I almost lost conscience. I say, well, I have an assignment. I need to bring uh, this soldier needs to fly there. And she said, well, don't you know there is a snowstorm now? You know, and in the Nordic Pole, when the snowstorm starts, it can go long. Not days. There is no end to it. And so I took the soldier and I went back to the unit. As soon as I entered my unit, my 12 friends were all in a truck going to a train station to go home. And they shouted to me and they said, bye. You know, and I was saying bye, but you know, here it was very difficult to say anything. So I entered and the chief military officer was there, came to me and said, have you fulfilled your assignment? I said, not, sir. How come, he said? Well, I said, Do you, you probably know that there is a snowstorm. No planes are flying now. And then he said to me, listen, for two years you told us about a heavenly father that lives up there. Didn't you tell us about him? Yes, sir, I did. Is it true that he is caring, is loving you? Well, he said, I see no problem. Send him a telegram. Ask for two hours of, uh, you know, clearance of the snowstorm. And you are home. No problem, he said. And he turned away and went. Well, of course, I was praying all the time, but I don't know what happened to me then. Because sometimes the Lord is so merciful, so close to us, that he takes us in the hand and leads us, because I just turned around and went to the airport again. And this time when I entered the airport, we were still in the doors. I heard the announcement, boarding, for the exact location I had to put the soldier, bring the soldiers to. So I checked him in very quickly. I must confess, I didn't wait till the plane started. I went to the unit. It was after midnight. And my chief officer was on duty this night. So I found him and I saluted him and I reported. I said, your assignment is fulfilled. You know, his chin drove down. He said, what? He said, done. He looked to me in my eyes and said, well... I told you, you've got to pray. Now, what is very interesting, God has good people everywhere. The nurse of our unit, elderly lady, she knew this injustice. She took my release papers and she went to the library, to the cafeteria, and she signed everywhere. Everything was done. And they gave me the documents. So I went to the airport. And there was only three times a week a flight to my home. And it was Wednesday, December 9, and it was exactly the day when there was a flight to my home. 
And there was a seat. I bought the ticket. I still keep it. And I was in the evening home while my friends, all the 12, were still in the train riding from the north to Moscow. <laughs> because in those days, the soldiers, when they would finish the military service, they would go to the village, buy a civil dress, drink alcohol, come back to the unit and wait when the officers who have treated you not so good would come out. They would catch them, beat them up, and then, you know, run away. And so the officers were afraid. And they would never give the final documents to the soldiers. They would put them in a group, put them in a train, drive with them till Moscow a couple of days, and then quickly give them the documents and disappear. And since they knew I will not drink, I will not beat anyone. I was the first at home. My friends were still driving because God is real. He is there. He is our neighbor. The conclusion, the essence of all things, fear God, keep his commandments, for God will bring every act to judgment. Everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank you for the reality of your presence here with us today under the sun. May we experience and rely on it daily. In Jesus' name, amen.